Welcome to Faith Community. Many times you hear that someone say that term, on fire. Uh, that team that's playing well today, uh, boy, they're really on fire. Or I went to a church and it seems like the folks there are really on fire. Or my friend, uh, a certain man or a certain woman or a certain um, companion, Boy, they're on fire, really on fire for the Lord. On fire, on fire, on fire. I want to take a look at what it means to be on fire. So let's look into our text for today. And that's found in Leviticus chapter 6. And I want to read a few verses. In verse 9, it says, Give Aaron and his sons this command. These are the regulations for the burnt offering. The burnt offering is to remain on the altar hearth throughout the night till morning, and the fire must be kept burning on the altar. Then in verse 12, it says, the fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning, the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. Verse 13 says, the fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. You know, it should be our prayer for our church, other churches in our town or in our area, and all churches around this world that stand for Jesus Christ to be on fire, on fire for God. May it be that we are on fire more than we have ever been on fire before. May it be that when uh, a seeking person comes into a certain church or comes to church online, like many of you have done, they might say, I, I don't know why I'm here. I just felt that something was persuading me to come here and see what's going on. May it be that this fellowship is so on fire that people in the community say, well, you know, there are wonderful things happening at that place, things that can't be explained, things that only God can do. So now I'm going to attempt to unpack for you in, in this two-part message, some timeless truths wrapped up in those two dynamic little words, on fire. But first, let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity of coming together, even though physically we can't be together this day. In spirit, certainly we can. And we thank you for that. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the promise that where we gather together to hear and to be instructed by your word that you're there in our midst. And you, we know that you're there to bless and to encourage and to open our hearts to great truths. So we pray that your will is accomplished in these moments together today and that we will surely give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we should be praying for the, the fire of the Holy Spirit to consume our churches and their people. In, it, it will happen in such a way that people will be drawn 
into this body of faith, this body of love, this body of grace. And while we're thinking of being on fire and people coming into uh, a warm and welcoming situation, there's some questions that we need to ask. And we need to try to answer those questions as we consider the fire that is spoken of even here in Leviticus. First question is, what is this fire and what does it represent? Scripture tells us what the fire is. Over and over again in the Old Testament, we're reminded of the symbolism of fire. The fire first appeared, if you'll notice, in Exodus chapter 3, as Moses sees a bush burning in the desert. But that bush is not being consumed. Moses had often seen bushes burning in the desert, but he'd never seen one that wasn't being consumed. So Moses went over to see that bush, and as he did, he heard a voice. And that voice said, take off your sandals, Moses, for the ground on which you're standing is holy ground. Moses removed his sandals and began a meeting with the Lord God. Then we see Moses leading the people of Israel. The Bible tells us again in Exodus chapter 13 that they were led by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Then we see on the top of Mount Sinai, the mountain was burning with fire because of the presence of God. And God's voice came thundering down and called for Moses. And Moses ascended and received the Ten Commandments that were written by the finger of God. Later, in the Old Testament, we see Elijah. He's calling on God to send down his fire from heaven. Do you remember the confrontation of Elijah and the prophets of Baal? Well, let me remind you. In the book of 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal to a duel, in essence. Uh, both are going to set up an altar with a bull as a sacrifice, and then they'll both call on their God to consume the offering with fire. Elijah says to the prophets of Baal, you, you go first. So the prophets of Baal and of Ashtoreth, about 850 in number, begin to call on their God to come and burn up the offering, but nothing happens. The Bible says they cried from morning till noon, but nothing happened. So they began to dance, but nothing happened. They began to cut themselves and abuse themselves until their own blood flowed, but nothing happened. Midday passed. Now they're approaching evening. In verse 29, the Bible says, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Now, you might think that Elijah was being a good sport about all of this. He was, you're thinking, probably standing on the sidelines, offering encouragement and wishing them a good game and all of that. Well, that might be what you think, but that's not exactly the way it went down. He began to kind of taunt the prophets of Baal. And he would say to them things like, well, maybe you ought to shout a little louder. Maybe your gods aren't hearing you. Surely he is a god, right? Or perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling and 
can't connect with you right now, or maybe your God is sleeping and he needs to be awakened. You see, Elijah knew that Baal would not answer because he was no God. Elijah served the only true God. So the prophets of Baal finally gave up, and now it was Elijah's turn. Now, to make things a little more impressive, he made it appear a little more difficult for God to burn the offering. He, he had the servants fill four large uh, containers of water and pour them over the offering. Then he told them to do it again. And then he told them to do it a third time. And then Elijah prayed. And his prayer went something like this, verses 36 through 38. You'll find it there in 1 Kings 18. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and it also licked up the water in the trench. On fire. And then I go ahead to that scene on the Emmaus Road, where two disciples are walking and talking and discussing the events of recent days. And you'll find that in Luke 24, starting at verse 13. And they're walking, they had this encounter with the risen Christ, and they didn't realize that the stranger who's walking with them was truly the one they'd been speaking of. And then one said to the other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Do you see, friends, what the fire represents? The fire represented the presence in all of these instances, the presence of Almighty God. You see, it wasn't the burning bush that made the meeting with Moses holy. It was the presence of Almighty God. God himself led the children of Israel. Elijah didn't defeat the prophets of Baal. It was God who defeated them. It wasn't the emotional moment of the day which created the fire for the Emmaus Road disciples. It was the very essence of Jesus Christ. And there were others who experienced this fire too. For instance, Jeremiah. Jeremiah said, there's a fire in my bones and I have to speak the word of God. John the Baptist came on the scene and he said that Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. At Pentecost, in the book of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit coming down with tongues as a fire. And in the book of Revelation, John had a vision of the risen Lord Jesus. He spoke of his eyes being as they were fiery, those fiery eyes that can see into our soul and discern everything that is within the fire in that case represents the judging presence of Almighty God. You see, the fire represents God's presence among us. When you surrender your life to Christ, 
He places a fire, sometimes we call it a burning desire within you to grow and to become more and more like Jesus. Sadly, though, for some, for many maybe, that fire begins to kind of die down. It becomes a, no more than a flickering flame where once it was an inferno for him, we couldn't even wait to get more and to know more. In that time, what happens? Well, let's consider then our next important question. And that question is, whose responsibility is it to keep the fire burning? The fire in our hearts, the fire in our souls, and the fire even in our church. Here in Leviticus, it's clear that it's the priest's responsibility. Verse 12 tells us that. So you might say, or somebody might say, oh, that means it's a pastor's responsibility, or it's the responsibility of church staff, or you might say it's also maybe the elders or the deacon's responsibility. You might even say, oh, it comes down to the responsibility of the children's workers and the youth leaders. But as New Testament 21st century followers of Jesus, we must remember what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, where we read, but you, that means us, are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Every Christian, I mean every born-again believer, is God's priest. It was the responsibility of the priest to carry men to God and to carry God back to men. Take men to God through prayer and take God to men through his word. It's our responsibility then to be God's priests. We are to pray for our neighbors and our co-workers and our family. And we're to take God to our neighbors and co-workers and family by sharing his word. Whose responsibility is it to carry the fire? It's mine and it's yours. And it's the responsibility of us all to carry this fire and keep it burning because we are all priests of God. Have you ever heard anyone say, oh, my church is just so cold. I just don't feel anything there anymore. There's no warmth. There's no life. Listen, my friend, if you feel your church is cold, then you need to go in on fire and heat it up. It doesn't have to be cold if you set it on fire. It only takes a spark to get a fire going. You warm up somebody else, and then you let somebody else warm up somebody, somebody else, and then someone else gets warmed up, and pretty soon your whole church will be on fire for Jesus. Who wouldn't want that for their church? Whose responsibility is it? It's all our responsibility on fire. And people can tell as soon as they walk in a church or a group of believers if it's on fire or not. I have to tell this story. A man was on a business trip one weekend and he was going to be unable to attend his own church that particular Sunday or Saturday. 
So on Sunday morning, he asked the man at the front desk where he was staying if there was a church nearby that, that, that he could attend. And he was told there was a church. It was uh, just a couple miles uh, down the road. And so the man drove that couple of miles and found the church. And he walked in the front door and saw some folks in the, in the foyer and uh, no one spoke to him. And uh, he entered uh, the sanctuary, the larger room, and he saw people scattered around that room, but nobody really making any effort to see him. And he took a seat a few rows back from the back, and a few moments later, the organist began playing a prelude, and the choir came out and sang a call to worship, and there were prayers, and there were hymns, and there was special music. And by I want to say, those are all, all good things to the glory of God. And then the pastor brought an encouraging sermon from the Word of God, and he even extended an invitation to unbelievers. Uh, no one responded. There was no move of any kind, and the congregation was then dismissed. And all this time, not one person spoke to that man. He left the church and realized he'd forgotten a few items for his trip, decided he'd make a trip over to a local store that, oh, many people make a little trip there after church. And where I live, they call it Walmart. Where you live, they may call it something else. He walks in the front door and someone greets him with this big smile and says, hello, welcome to Walmart. If you need any help at all, just let me know. The man smiled and said, thank you, I will. He had found a few of his items and another associate approached him and said, sir, are you having any trouble finding things? The man said, uh, well, he, as a matter of fact, I need to buy some eye drops and I can't uh, tell where to go for those. The associate tells him that he can help him and he takes the man right to that section where the eye drops were located in, in the pharmacy and, and he offers to help him with anything else. But the man says, no, I'm pretty well through, done my shopping now, but thank you. So the man walks toward the front of the store and another associate greets him and directs him to a checkout counter. And as the man is leaving, the same person who had greeted him said, have a good day, sir, and come back and see us. And the man paused momentarily and said, I will. As he's walking to his car, he thinks to himself, the church offered an invitation, but no one even responded, if Walmart had given an invitation, I would have joined the company. Now, Walmart has a motive for being so friendly. They want your business. They're trying to make money. And by the way, this isn't just free advertising for one company, but I want to say we can learn a lot from people around us in our world, even our wonderful businesses. Don't we as the church, I mean the body of Christ here on earth, don't we have something so much more valuable than anything you can find at a local store? I mean, we show love and we show hospitality for the purpose of pointing people to Christ and to his love. A pastor in another church loved to tell the story of a sweet little lady by the name of Petey. He said uh, one Sunday his own parents came to visit 
uh, in one of his churches, and they got there a little early, and he said our greeters weren't even in place yet, but Petey was there, and she was making my parents feel welcome. And he said, this pastor said, what my family didn't know is Petey's husband is in the early stages of Alzheimer's. And she struggles every day of the week to help her husband. And there are days he forgets just about everything. And he can be sitting in his own living room and say it's about time to go home. He'll go back to his bedroom and then decide he should call Petey, who's sitting right in the kitchen. And sometimes he forgets that he and Petey are even married. And these are not good days for Petey and her husband. And our hearts go out to them. This is sad. But there she was, my friends. Talk, the pastor says, talking with my family, making them feel welcome. You know what she was doing. She was carrying the fire to help prepare them for worship and to connect with the Heavenly Father. She, indeed, was on fire. Look, we need people of all ages to carry the fire. Every church does. A church without young people might dry up but a church without old people might blow up. Senior adults, give me your attention, please. We need you to help carry the fire because you look at life as no other age group can from what we call the other end of the spectrum. We need you to be involved because of your wisdom, because of your experience, and because of your even look at things as they are. And young people, oh, how we love you, how we love you. We need you to be involved too. Why? Because of your energy, <laughs> because of your enthusiasm. And don't ever use your youth as an excuse not to join God in, in, in some great work. Don't do that. Jeremiah tried that. And God said to Jeremiah, do not say, I am only a youth. You must go to everyone I send you to, and you must say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you, and I will rescue you. And then to all of you who are in between, we need you. Because you are really out there in the real world. You know the needs. And I contend that you know best how to meet those needs. We rely on you to lead this effort of taking the light of his fire into a sin-darkened world. So what does the fire represent? It represents the very presence of God. And who is to keep that fire burning? We are all called to keep the fire burning. Yes, we are all responsible. Are you on fire for God? Is your church on fire for God? Is your life on fire to the point where it's truly counting for the things of God? If not, I'm going to invite you and ask you today to pray a simple prayer and to invite God to come with his power and the power of his fire into your life or back into your life so that you might be effective for him. Our goal is to be so on fire 
that we are reaching other people with the gospel story of Christ. I'm going to ask right now that we pause for prayer. And then I'm going to also remind you that we're going to come back a little later and we're going to look at the other part of this message because I want you to, to, to understand how we keep the fire burning. And I also want you to understand why we should keep the fire burning. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for these moments spent together. Thank you for all that these scriptures that we've looked at mean to us. And thank you that we have been given the responsibility to keep the fire burning. And we know that that reliable Jewish scholars have told us that for over a thousand years, the, the priests kept that fire burning, even through their wilderness wandering and their times in the desert and all of their trials and tribulations, the fire was kept burning all that time. What a great testimony that is for us to keep our fire burning for Jesus and to let the light shine that others might see the glory of God. Thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing in every heart and in every life, even now as we share these thoughts together. And as we go forward in our next message, I pray that you will again open your word and open our hearts and spirits to your word that we might be truly on fire for you. And we pray all this with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen.